name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Thanks for coming, Paul. Thanks for inviting me back. Oh, I've been I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. We actually we connected over a question I had about the Pen Meridale um, foxhounds, right? A while a while back. Yes, and it wasn't until after we'd talked that I realized I've actually heard a podcast with you before. I I could never find it again, but I, I'm I know I've heard a podcast with you for, from before. Yeah, it was. I think I did, and it was a good long while back. Actually, back when I was living in in up in Canada with um, with Ronnie Bim and the Hunting Dog Podcast. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, that's that's exactly what it was. I've been I've yeah. been frustrating, ripping my hair out trying to figure out which podcast yeah. that was. That's and cool. that, yeah. That, that has to be. That's got to be. I mean, I've been here in Virginia nearly seven years now, so it's got to be probably eight or nine years ago now, probably. Good, good sure. while back. Good while yeah, back. That's a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you, so, but I guess let's start from the beginning. We're we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Where? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your origins, what, and kind of the the the, the chronicles that brought you to where you are now. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if I can fit it all in in an hour, but <laughs> we'll, oh, we'll we have... don't. We don't have a time limit here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your listeners might get a little bit bored. So I'm originally from the northeast of England, uh, a little town called South Shields, which is just slightly south of Newcastle, right mm-hmm. on the on the not far from the beach. Uh, and I grew up with uh, working with terriers and lurchers and whippets, uh, of which I still all have have all of those things now. Okay. Um, my, my grandmother's brother was a very famous, uh, what we call a kennel huntsman to uh, the Puckeridge Foxhound down in the Southeast of England. And he was there until his, until his late eighties, early nineties, he was still, still riding. He wasn't working for them anymore, but he'd, he'd served for consecutive masters for nearly, I think it was something like 60 seasons, 55 seasons, something like that. Okay. A long, long time, and I remember going down as a kid, going down to their place on on vacation, and and chatting with with my with my uncle Ned, uh, and and just I was just completely hooked, fascinated and hooked by the hounds, and and in England, um, we feed the hounds on fallen stock in England. So if you're in in a dairy area or you know. Uh, cattle farming area if, if you have a cow that's unfit for human consumption or it's died um we the hunt kennels would go out and pick it up they'd have a pickup we'd go pick it up winch it up bring it back to the kennels and uh we'd butcher it for the hounds and that's exclusively what we fed the hounds so it yeah. fascinated me as a kid going to see great uncle ned and you know this you know butchering animals and stuff like that and as a young kid i wasn't grossed out by it i was more intrigued than i was grossed out by it Mm. um and i think that probably sealed the deal um so i carried on my teenagers and i I carried on hunting i always had the terriers i was a big uh i used to love uh, i used to work with ferrets 
Uh, and sure. that's not really a thing. It's not really a thing, I don't think, in, in North America. But um, that was a huge part of my childhood. You know, we could, you know, had a lot of ground there that had rabbits that they live in holes in England, right? They don't, they're not like the rabbits here. The rabbits right. here tend to live in like brush piles and, and just live above ground primarily. Whereas back home in England, they have these huge big warrens. Right. So you, the premise is you drop the ferret in and you put little what they call purse nets over all of the holes or long nets is another way of doing it. And this, the, the rabbits smell the ferret and hightail it out of there and run into the nets and you catch them or you have a lurcher or a whippet sitting on the outside and the, and the dog catches it. Sure. So uh, that was my thing as a kid. I used to do a bunch of that. But fast forward That's that, cool. I, I leave school. I go to college for a while realized it's just not working for me um and i'd grown up around uh, my grandfather had paid for riding lessons for me as a kid so we'd always kind of had a interaction with horses and whatnot hmm. so i went off and I, I was working for some show jumpers for a for a couple of months and then eventually honed in uh working at a hunt kennels uh down okay. in the south down in the southwest of england and uh, kind of just basically ran ran the ladder of, of of succession. You start off in the kennels and then in the stables, doing all the grunt work, and, and then sure. which uh, which pack was that? So we start. I started off it with the the East Devon down in the southwest of England, and then from the East Devon, I went to a pack of uh, what they call West Country Harriers, which yep. I, ha- yep. I don't know. If very many people are familiar with the with the West Country Harrier. The, it's they still hunt. Uh, they hunt. Ra- they hunt hare and fo- fox with with West Country Harriers. They're slightly different to a stud book harrier in as much as they're pretty much exclusively white. Um, okay. A lot of people. A lot of people think of a harrier as your traditional, like an English foxhound, like the tricolor. Sure. Um, whereas West Country Harriers are all they're all predominantly white. You'll see them with some kind of lemon markings and whatnot. But pri- primarily, they're, they're a light-colored hound. Cool. Uh, wow. So that was my first ever whipper in job, which is basically the huntsman's assistance job, and hmm. they basically help the day-to-day running. And, and then on a on a hunting day, we basically are like scouts for the for the for the huntsman. So they, we'll get out and watch for watch for good game coming out, and watch for bad game, and make sure the hounds aren't hunting. Yeah, I lost lost you there for a second. Make Sorry. sure the hounds aren't hunting. Yeah, make sure that the the hounds are hunting the the, the correct game. Really, to be honest, the the correct correct right. quarry. So, um, so that was my first whip range job um, under a real old taskmaster of a guy called Paul Tidbull, um, whose name was his nickname was Sparky because it didn't take much for him to spark off, and that was from his own. His, okay. <laughs> his own stepson called him that. His own stepson was um, did the same job, uh, and I, I guess I would never recommend that, like uh, whipping into your own stepfather. I guess that must have been tough for him. Um, that must be adding kind of insult to injury. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. So yeah, so I did it. Spent a couple of years there, and then from from the southwest, I went up to the Lake District to the Vale of Loon Harriers, which actually do hunt hares. They're your, your typical stud book harrier, the tricolors. 
that was right up against uh, right against the British, uh, the English Lake District. It's beautiful, beautiful country. Um, a lot of yeah. just rolling hills, stone walls. Uh, and I stayed there a couple of seasons, and I enjoyed that a lot. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, but I missed hunting foxes, hunting hares, you know, the jackrabbits. The, it is fun. It is fun, but it, it's it's just there's just something about hunting a fox that's different to hunting a hare, and I missed that. Completely, agree. I missed that. I totally. Agree. Um, so then I hmm. I went to the most the northernmost pack of foxhounds in the UK, which was the Fife foxhound. Um. And whipped into a really good guy there, um, who was who was who was a he was also a bit of a taskmaster, but a very very you know his his knowledge was fantastic. A guy called Mark Mark Dredge, and he consequently came out here um, when I left in two thousand. He left also and came to a pack of foxhounds down in Georgia called the Midland Foxhounds, which are quite a famous pack. Oh, cool! Um, but learned an awful awful lot from him. Um, so he went to Georgia and I went to, I went to Ireland then I whipped in in Ireland, uh, to the County Kildare Foxhounds. And then from there, okay. we went out to Italy to my first huntsman's job. Uh, and I was the huntsman at the, the Rome Foxhounds, um, which was quite, quite the, quite the experience that, that was some crazy countryside out there. Um. And and beautiful countryside as well, and great food. <laughs> uh, oh yeah! So yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. So you were, I mean, were they hunting foxhounds in the, or you know, were they hunting foxes in Italy in the same absolutely way that you were accustomed? Yeah. Was it yeah. sort of a was it a traditional yeah. so to speak? Yeah, one hundred percent. So they so so the the Rome foxhound started by a, a guy called Lord. Chesterfield, uh, everyone's heard of the, the sofas, Chesterfield sofas. So that was the, the, that was mm-hmm. this guy, uh, Lord Chesterfield. His wife um, was diagnosed with um, tuberculosis, and back in the day, the cure for tuberculosis was to go to hotter climates. So warmer climates. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. he moved to Rome, and him and his wife were trotting along the road one day, which is where the kennels were, the Via Appia Antica. And uh, so he saw a fox go in front of him, and he was a master back in England. I don't, I don't recall which pack it was, but uh, basically he he sent for a huntsman, a pack of hounds and hounds, and the whole nine yards, and moved the whole thing out there. So um, that's really moved, cool. That's he really established cool. the fox hunt out there, and I don't recall the dates, but it was you know so eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties sort of time. And then his wife got got well pretty quickly actually in in the in the mediterranean climate i think he was out there maybe two years maybe three and then um mm-hmm. uh, a guy and it was all very and still when when we left there in 2004 there was still a lot of aristocracy that hunted it was very exclusive and so when lord let lord chesterfield um went back to england he handed the reins over to a guy called prince Otterskalki. And he was master there for, okay. forever. And they always seemed to have English staff. They always had English or Irish staff come over. So the hounds were always talked to in English. And the countryside, hmm. it was beautiful countryside. Very, very pretty countryside. And they had a ton of foxes too. A ton of foxes. I can imagine. So, I can imagine. Was heat, I mean, I'm a little bit curious about that, just both where you are now and also now that you mentioned Italy. 
Um, was heat an issue for you guys? Were you, um, when you, you were know, there? so my predecessor there was a bit of an odd bod, but he kind of, in fairness to me, he, he wasn't afraid to, um, to dabble and, and, and kind of try new things. And he tried a various different crosses, um, rather than just straight English foxhounds, which had always traditionally been there. And uh, I had two mm-hmm. particular, two two crosses that I really, really, really thought an awful lot of. One cross was um, the Anglo-Francais. Um, they, mm-hmm. they, they, so we, he brought some of those in. There was a, a, a local boar hunter that he, that had used some of it. So he got, he got some Anglo-Francais from him. And he also got, um, so they were, they were bloodhounds, but they weren't bloodhounds. These were very much more like, not like the AKC type you'd see. These were, they weren't pure bloodhound. They had a little bit of, um, a breed, a French breed called, um, Bruno de Jura. I don't know if you've ever heard. Sure. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the the ancestors of the yeah I yeah believe, basically they? so they still yeah. still there is still a strain called Bruno de Jura in France now so this this particular uh, bitch had I think she was like three quarter bloodhound a quarter Bruno de Jura and my predecessor okay. had bred her to an English foxhound and there was three bitches in the litter and my initial thoughts when when I came there they they were unended at the time they'd never hunted. And I thought these things are just gonna be just boo, boo, just honky old things that just weren't, they couldn't, couldn't right. you know, they couldn't get out of their own way, kind of thing. Boy, was I ever wrong. Those right. things were absolute flying machines, absolute flying. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's and that's and had a real high pitched squall. You know, it wasn't. I was expecting this big old, big old ball mouth on them. No, they had a sure, real sure. shrill type. The, the yeah, horns. just like yeah. a real. These had a real high pitched squally voice, but man, they could catch foxes. They were they were dynamite. And then the other cross, like I say, was the Anglo Francais, and um, they were dynamite too. So, in in regards to the to the heat, I really don't think it bothered them. I think I think then as I do now, I think a lot of it is consistency of weather patterns so if you don't have rain for a long time i think they're able to adapt to that and they're able to concentrate better and and get their heads down and work is it harder yeah for sure but i think i think it's all relative i i I think any hound guy that's ever been through a period of time where it's where the ground has been so warm and 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 it's been dry and then suddenly you get rain and you think oh great yeah they're going to scream tomorrow because we've suddenly got moisture on the ground I always right. find it just screws them up. It messes. Them. <laughs> yeah. It just messes them up. Absolutely. You know, you think that it's going to just suddenly, you know, improve the scent conditions tenfold. Yeah. In my experience, and that's nearly 30 years of, 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 of fox hounds, I've yet to see that. I think consistency of weather patterns is what's important. If it's consistently wet, then that's good. And if it's consistently dry, it's not good. But it's, as long as it's consistent, they're able to deal with it and cope with it. Right. I, right. That makes total sense to me. It's, you know, I've talked to a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of the guys from like kind of wetter places, um, like Georgia, Louisiana, places like that, where they do get quite a bit of rain that try to go out and do the same thing. And 
in desert conditions and they really struggle. But I've also heard the flip side of guys who have thought that, you know, I'm going to really improve my pack and their scenting ability by bringing in a dry ground lion dog to, you know, Maine. And that's going to, you know, do the, make all the difference in the world and have found out that actually it takes a little bit of time for that to adjust. adjust. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, they're, they're able to take up the scent particles and when, Certainly, I think a, a, like something like a, a dry ground lion dog is used to dealing with such fine particles of, of scent uh, with probably minimal intrusions. You know, I mean, like you're talking big, massive areas where critters aren't really walking over an awful lot compared to the East right. Coast where it- we've got. 40,000 million creatures running all over the place. We've got, you know, everything from armadillos, coons, uh, you know, rabbits, everything under the sun, deer. You know, I think if you brought a, right. a dry a, a dry ground hound into that circumstance, circumstances, it, it's it's got, it's all factory systems just going to go, you know, just what the hell? Absolutely. It's, um, you know. It's it's a matter of interference. I I, I think, think so. I, I've always firmly you believed know, that contamination. Yes, exactly, hundred percent. I think it's we're getting the hound to get its head down and dial in and get get dialed into whatever quarry it's on. I think the weather conditions obviously do take play a part, but I think when there's a when there's a disruption in the weather patterns, it takes them a while. It takes them a day like day or two just to get the head straight and, and and get them focusing on what they're supposed to be focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds reasonable to me. So from Rome, where did you end up? So I went from Rome. uh, So I had a friend who was at the pack where I am actually at now. He's an Irish guy. He said to me, you've got to get yourself over here. He said, this is where it's at. North America is where, you know, you need to be. And uh, we were, my wife was pregnant with our first son, my first and only son. (laughs) Um, and the accommodations in Rome just weren't suited to to a family. They were, you know, it was it was okay as, as a as a couple, but just not with a with a child as well. Just the accommodations weren't suitable. So we'd heard that there was a job coming up in in Pennsylvania, uh, Western Pennsylvania. So I applied for that. Mm-hmm. The guy promised the earth, the moon, and the stars, and the whole nine yards. We came across. It didn't really work out that well. The guy was a bit of a jackass. So we kind of. We parted companies after a year, and I then went to um, Hamilton, Ontario, up in Canada. Um, okay. And that was primarily hunting coyotes, a lot of coyotes out there, um, but in, in a fairly restricted, tight territory. Um, we mm-hmm. had a lot of fun there, and then uh, two years after that, I kind of got headhunted by the next door pack, which was the London Foxhounds, which is further southwest so we're talking about an hour and change northeast of detroit uh and okay they basically had hunted me offered me more money um much bigger kennel hunting a lot more days and the country the, the registered country was huge 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 ground and i stayed there for 12 years i mean we had so much fun there i mean some monumental coyote chases i mean uh, I think one springs to mind, like the, my penultimate day there, um, one of my bosses who had been a, a master with that particular pack for, for over 45 years, 
said it was the best day they'd ever mm-hmm. had. And we'd found a, a coyote just over the road from where the kennels were. We had about, I think it was about 17 couple of hounds, so about 30, 38 hounds out. They found him yep. within about 10 minutes. They ran him straight to the village of Ilderton, which is about six and a half miles straight north. Um, and then he, he, he turned just short of the, of the, the, the village and then crossed quite a major road. And at that point, there was just me on my horse and, and two guys in trucks. And the one guy sh- basically shut the highway down so the hounds could get across the road. And then basically this coyote just legged it straight back on the opposite side of the highway, straight back from whence he came, the other six and a half, seven miles back down. And the hounds caught him. Wow. Hounds caught him in a in a um, in a field, a field away from a, a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> so just goes to show you how uh, everything's getting built up nowadays. I don't even know if we could do that run now. That was what was that? That was seven, eight years ago now. And uh, my son went had a visit back up there last year, and he said, "Dad," he said, "All of that's built up now." So oh, it's wow. it's scary shame. in just six, you know, well, eight years. How much? How much it's? Yeah. And I think that's something as as hunters, it doesn't matter whether we're hunting, you know, rabbits, bears, foxes, whatever. I think it's something that is a is a big issue for us all. Really, is is the loss of the loss of uh, habitat for us to be able to hunt and you know do it safely. Hmm. I mean, I think Absolutely. I think I think uh, the electronics we have now have have made have made it hugely i mean i i don't think if if we didn't have the gps colors we have now i i i think it would be almost unattainable like i mean it's we have so much development and so many vehicles i i just i just, yeah oh I, I mean yeah i totally agree you know you don't have the you don't have the luxury anymore and i mean it sounds funny saying it's a luxury i mean those guys that did it before the collars were you know they're a different breed. Incredibly. Oh, different breed. Absolutely. But, you know, in, in a modern sense, we don't have the luxury anymore of kind of taking, you know, a couple of days to find our hounds. No, you know? no, no, they're going to there. We need to know where they are at all times, which is, uh, you know, luckily we've got the technology to do that, but it's, it's little bit of a burden too I think. it is it is and and as much as i love the garmin system it's horribly unreliable i mean i'm running you know this time of year i'm training pups and whatnot and you know this there's days where i'm taking 40 hounds out training and yeah you know i've got 40 collars on and you know it's a it's a, it's a constant you constantly have to shell out, you know, it's, 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 oh, this collar's not working. This not collar's not working. And, and not to bag on Garmin like, but their, their after sales is just awful, horrible. You know, I mean, you think how many yep. thousands of dollars we spent constantly upgrading stuff and whatnot. And they, they just don't give a crap. They're just like, oh, well, yeah, get in line, take a ticket. Good luck. You know, you know, they just don't. They don't seem to give a damn, like which which is frustrating. It is extremely frustrating. Um, even most of the, it is a little bit. Frustrating. Well, most of the, I yeah. mean, I mean, so much so that I've I've actually uh, I have a friend that that took over from me up in Canada that's running the the um the Pathfinder too, the Pathfinder, the Doctor Pathfinder. Yeah, and sure, he sure. says that mm-hmm. that 
he's had collars. I mean, he, he ran the Pathfinder. He's not on the Pathfinder too, but I mean, he's had collars that are seven, eight years old and he's using them, you know, several hours a day, three days a week. And he said they're, they're still working perfectly. And I've had Garmin collars that have, yeah. that have crapped out at, you know, always convenient yet, like 13 months once the, the warranty's out on them kind of thing, you know? Right, right, right. right. So, yeah, no, we've got, um, we've got a couple of different collars over here. We've got the Garmin, then I've got the same issue that you're talking about, that they crap out after a certain amount of time. And, you know, the customer service isn't that great. You know, I had one, uh, I had a dog get away from me and I was only picking him up sporadically every five or six hours. And I called Garmin and asked them if, if they could remotely um, turn down the update yes. rate on the collar to conserve battery because it was right. cold. And the dude, the dude, like full blown, like derisive laughter in my yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I had another collar on that dog that was a tracker collar. It's called the the company's called Tracker, which is kind of similar to the the dog um, the dog truck collars. And uh, I called him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we could definitely do that." And they, I mean, they were able to turn the freak the update frequency down to something like once every 10 hours if I wanted right. that. Wow. You know? So it would have lasted for right. weeks. But it's just like, it's a different attitude. You know, Garmin sort of surprisingly, you know, not to, not to go off on a tangent about Garmin, but it's like, you know, surprisingly Garmin still has this attitude of like, well, what are you, who else? Yes. Yes. They, they think they've still got yes. the monopoly and I think that they're going to wake up one day and realize that. Well, like I say, I, I just don't. ordered five collars with, with the dog trap. And I'm going to run it simultaneously mm. with the other one and see how we go and give it the trial that, you know, and if, if I feel that it is, then through attrition, I'll just slowly just burn out the, 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 the garments and go to the, to the Pathfinder. I mean, I'm, I'm not committed. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fanboy of, Gar- of Garmin. Like, I mean, if, if it turns out the doctor has, has a better product, then, then like I say, we'll eventually through attrition, just switch over to them because, you know, I have to have things that are that are working and robust, and you know, as hand guys, we all know the places our hounds go to. Like the the collars have to be robust and be able to take a knock and a bang. And you know, they they say to you, "Oh, well, you know, it's just it's that cord that runs from the battery to the GPS signal." Well, make it make it make it. Then, then yeah, fix it. exactly. You yeah. know exactly why it's doing it. Why the hell haven't you fixed it? You know. Right. It's infuriating. I mean, exactly. you're charging nearly $400 for a collar now, you know, right. like, and that's, that's a constant worry for me. If I have a hound missing, that's like, that's like a hound running around with, with a $400 bill around its neck. It's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, you lose too many of them. Right. That's a chunk of change. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. It's, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we kind of got off on a tangent there. there anyway, but yeah, so. We did a little <laughs> bit. All right. You you were in the Foxhounds. I want to ask you a real quick question before yeah. we go on. Um, uh, you've done, were you hunting the coyotes in sort of a traditional Foxhound yes. way off of horses and yes. things like that? What is What are some of the differences? Because we've, and I'm interested in your answer to this because the the pup that I had just picked up is out of a coyote, uh, an American foxhound that's a coyote hound from Nebraska, right. and I'm a little bit curious to see what your what your opinion is, um, it, in terms of hunting both types of game. What um, 
what are the similarities? What are the differences? I think the 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 main thing I find with 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 hunting coyotes is um, you got to think a lot bigger. I mean, a fox is going to make a turn whenever it can, unless you're getting in and around sort of the January time when you've got dog foxes running around looking for girlfriends. Uh, generally, mm. you know, your, your foxes have got somewhat of a territory. Uh, a coyote has a massive, massive territory. And if you get one buzzed, I mean, if you get up on his, on his jacksy and, and start buzzing him, he's, he's gone. He's got, he's running, he's running hard. And I think if hounds check up, if they check up on, on a coyote, more often than not, you need to, you need to push them forward as opposed to checking to the left or to the right kind of thing. Um, cause the good chance is he's probably not gone left or right. He's probably gone straight on. Um, right. I, okay. In some ways I find coyote, coyote hunting could, you could almost say is easier because they're a, a slightly more predictable. Um, really? Okay. I think they are. I think, especially if you get in one's head, if you, if you buzz a coyote within about 30 minutes and you've got a really, really good pack of hounds, he's going to end up a dead coyote. Um, but they're also can be very smart. I mean, I, I've sat and watched them uh, up in Ontario. They had some huge big coyote pens there that we we trained the pups in. And I remember getting up in one of the high towers there and and and, and then a coyote making an absolute fool of, of a bunch of hounds just creeping through some it was it was farm it was a it was a pen, but the fact like it was farmland. And, and I remember right. like vividly seeing this, this coyote just literally doing like 50, 50 yard circles and loops and figures of eights. And the coyotes, uh, the, sorry, the hounds were right in behind him, just following away, you know, just doing their thing. And, the, and, and the coyote was just making an absolute fool of them. He knew <laughs> that there was just no scent, right? So they can be incredibly right. smart, okay. incredibly smart. But at the same time, if you get in the heads, they can be incredibly dumb as well. Right. Um, but okay. that, I think hmm. that's my main, main thing. I think foxes generally are a lot cooler and a lot, lot more. Um, they think a lot more when they're running. I think. Okay. Does it require a different kind of athleticism to run a coyote than it does a, a fox? I think they need good confirmation either way. I think you need good confirmation, hmm. and that goes for it. It doesn't matter, you know. Form follows function, you know. I mean, if you've got a, a hound that's put together a spare parts, yeah, sure, it's going to do it because a good hound is always going to work in spite of its shortcomings. But I think if sure. a if a if a hound is made right and is is made correctly, he's going to last a whole pile longer than a one that's put together with spare parts. Um, I I like I like a. I don't like too heavy a hound. I mean, a lot of the English hounds are, it'd be too much. Too much for my liking. I, I, there's nothing more pleasing than seeing a really attractive English foxhound. Um, but for me, I just find, especially for North American uh, hunting, they're just they're, a lot of the time they get too big, they're too heavy. The the heat just kills them. It just sucks it out of them. I'd rather have sure. a, a lighter okay. framed. Which you know, there's a reason why the American foxhound was developed. You know, they're they're a lighter boned hound. Right. They're, they're, they're they're just better suited for, for, for fox hunting. And even when I was in England, I preferred that lighter framed hound. I don't, I don't particularly like a big clunky, heavy hound. Um, 
That's not okay. to say I haven't had some nice big heavy heavy set hounds. Um but personally I prefer I prefer a little bit more of a racier type of hound. Um you know, I mean I know I know you're going through this project right now with your with your little hound that's 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 from this this wolf proofing kind of side of things, which I think if if I yeah. had that kind of situation going on, maybe I'd be thinking more along the lines of you, you know. Yeah, you know that's it's that's always been my attitude when I've gone into you know any kind of the working dog world that I've been in, you know any aspect of of it that I've been in, you know with the huskies, you know there are dogs that there are a lot of different type of huskies, and they're gonna those things are gonna translate into different strengths and strengths and weaknesses depending on the conditions that yeah. you're in and the terrain that you're in and you know i believe the same thing about the hounds in that you know uh what's a good hound in virginia may not be a good hound in ontario may not be a good hound in rome may not be a good hound and you know it's it's i i find that a lot of the time it's dependent on both the terrain the conditions also how you like to hundred percent looking for yeah absolutely absolutely and you know, that's what I'm interested with, with this, with this pup is that she is, um, my issue with the Nordic breeds of hound, um, I, I won't say a, a bad word about them. Um, but the reality is that after the fox population here collapsed in 1980, right completely collapsed. We got a mange epidemic and it killed all, it killed 90%. Literally, that's an actual number, 90% wow. of the of wow. fox population. Just completely destroyed them. And the people who had hounds do what houndsmen tend to do and they adjusted. Yeah. They, they went and trained their hounds to hunt other game. Right. And what you ended up getting was a very, very strong uh the the hounds became very very strong on hair right. which is excellent there's i'm not taking anything away from away from those hounds being a good hair hound is i mean that that requires a lot of the qualities yeah. that i look for yeah it's a lot of fun but yeah it is a lot of fun i mean i've done it it's great fun it's great fun i prefer hunting foxes yeah. and the issue with the with the hair hounds is that they got they got kind of big right. And not in like a long-legged kind of way. They got kind of clunky right. and thick-legged, and and you know some people really like that. The Dunker, you know, the Dunker Hound, for example, is a it's a beautiful hound. They you know they end up being this kind of you know merle blue yeah. Yeah. color. Um, you know, breathtaking hounds, and watching a good one work is just a lot of. But they got that little dumpy. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, kind of big, big joints and clunky yeah. and, you know, and it, just not what I'm looking yeah. for. Um, you know, and I, I, so I've tried a couple of different things. I've tried, um, uh, I've tried a Russian hound, what? which is this big brown saddlebacked thing that was, a uh, was created outside of Moscow, up. I mean, a bunch of years ago, but they bred bloodhounds to Borzois. Oh, wow. Holy cow. 
That's quite combination. And created a dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and created a dog like you picture what that would look like. That's exactly right. What it would look wow. Like. Yeah. Um, but there's there there they can be a good one is really good, but a a not good one. They're you know they're either really good or they're right. Not. Yeah, there's no in between. There's no in between. Right. So you know I've I've had this. It took me a little bit of time to find what I was looking for. And the closest thing that I found to what I was looking for was an American Foxhound, which is what right. I had. Um, but she's got, you know, she's got her own issue. She came to me late and, and, you know, I've, she's, she's got her things, but this, this, this pup from, um, from Sweden, from Eric Partlow in Sweden is I'm excited about because he's he's done a little bit of the same thing that I did when I was um, a dog musher, which was breed to dogs that are performing at a high mm-hmm. level, doing what he wants to be doing, and not only doing what he wants to be doing, but doing what he wants to be doing the way he wants to yes. be doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I'm excited about it. It's going to be interesting to see. She's, um, she's a, a little firecracker and I, and I like that about her. Um, but she's smart. She's, uh, she's, I think probably the smartest hound I have here right now, which is, uh, a little bit scary considering that she's only 12 weeks old. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, I think like we were talking, uh, talking about before, I think you have to, you have to, you have to have a type of hound that suits your personality as well you know i mean it's like you mm-hmm. your initial how we initially made contact about the pen Meridale. those pen Meridale hounds will mm. not take any kind of rough handling they're very very they're right. very they're quiet timid kind of quiet if, if you were kind of brash and loud you wouldn't they they just they wouldn't work for you they'd shut down on you you know so i think okay you have to not only do you have to have a have a type of hound that fits your criteria in as much as the quarry that you're going to hunt, and the territory you're going to hunt, but also your own temperament as well. Sure, it surprises me to hear that about the Pen Marydales. You would think that as an American race, they'd be used to brash and loud. Since yeah, fairly brash you know, the, and loud. The, as the way I look at it is, I think you know, if you look at the registered packs of hounds like the English hounds and even the American hounds to a lesser degree, but they've been in this regimented mm. area of, you know, they've, they've had kennels and, and they've, you know, they've, they've, they go through a regimen and, and the whole nine yards. Whereas you look at the history of the Penn Meridals, they were basically, you know, a bunch of good old boys in Pennsylvania, Maryland and Delaware that, you know, all got together and, and went up on the mountain, turned, turned the hounds loose or on the Eastern shore and the rest of the time, they were probably tied to a barrel out the back of the yard. So, I mean, they probably never, ever had the type of interaction that something that, like, say, the English foxhound that's, you know, you know, probably like 400 years of, of institutionalized kennel management. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I mean, bread for bread for fitting into that culture. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's, you know, being an Englishman, I, I prefer the American hounds. I think American hounds are 
they think for themselves. The English hound for, mm. for several hundred years has been hunted by by guys that have a they have a job to do and they have members that are, are, are galloping behind that want to see they want to be moving. They want to be constantly moving. They want to be galloping. They want to be jumping fences. And for years and years and years, England's fortunate that it has a tremendous fox population, has a lot of foxes. And they, yep. they're very, some of the top packs, especially back in the day, were very, very, very organized. They'd have something called earth stoppers so that they'd know where all the big major earths were and they'd go and put uh, big sacks of, of straw in, in all the holes so that the, if the fox was starting to, he'd had enough and he was looking somewhere to go, all the earths were blocked. So he had to keep on running. So they got longer, longer runs, right? Sure. So sure, sure. Yep. You, you've had that for several hundred years. We've had that pressure of basically paying members that want to run so that there's pressure on those huntsmen back in the day that, they weren't. They couldn't let their hounds hunt on their own. If you know what I mean. So if they if they were running a right. fox, and you know suddenly things slowed down a little bit, they came to a tricky spot. They they had the they had the members breathing down their neck to say, "Come on, we got to get going. We got to get going. We got to get going." So then, the, it right. would force the hound. It would force the huntsman to to pick the hounds up and try and cast the hounds to a, a direction where he thought the fox had gone or if somebody else had seen the fox and hollered that the fox was there, they would pick the fox, pick the hounds up, you know, not pick, literally pick them up, but get their heads back up, gallop off, take them to where, they, where the fox had been seen. So they're incessantly being messed with all the time and not allowed to hunt for their own. So I think that right. that is of a detriment to them. I think I, I would just, just describe it as too many years of overhandling, you know? Uh, yep. But then you go the flip side of a Penmer, something like a Penmer Adal that's in the eastern shore of Maryland or up in some, you know, in the middle of some mountainside. You could never get to them. They're, that's the whole point of that type of hound is they have tremendous noses there and incredibly independent and we'll just keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. But the drawback to that right. is they can be inclined to just dwell on a line and just boo, boo. And you know, they've gone two yards and it's right. like they, right. they've lost that drive because there's no one there to, to kind of push them on and say, come on, no, you can't just sit there and sniff that one spot for three hours, you know, or just hmm. chug along, chug along, chug along. Whereas, so you've got two ends of the scale that you want, you want doing my job. I want them to, I, I want the aim for me is for me to take a pack of hounds out and find a fox and run a fox and me not do a damn thing. That is the art of it. Sure. I bred them so well that they, 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 if they, if they make a loss, they're able to fix it themselves with minimal help from me. And that's, that's, right. that's the sign of a, a good huntsman. It is an old saying in England, foxes are killed in the kennels, right? It's the, And it's not literally right. we're killing foxes mm -hmm. in the kennels. It's all, all the pre, it's your breeding, it's your regimen, it's it's how you exercise them, how you train them, how you've exposed them to everything. It's the, Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the English version of the, uh, 
your team is only as good as yeah. your bench. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, yep. you've got you've got to do the pre work, and then a good pack of hounds and a and a good huntsman makes it make make it look easy. I mean, it looks like we're not doing anything. If you, if you if you have a good rapport right. with your hounds, and and it's no different. Translates any same with coon hounds, same with bear hounds. It's all the same. If you do the, if you do, you, you get what you put in. You get out what you put in. And right. I think um, right. that that's the key to to having a good good pack of hounds. You see, some guys that do my job, and they have egos the size of, you know, just huge egos, and they're galloping around and. You know, they're tooting on hunting horns and they're making a big show. And it's, you know, to some people it might look impressive and they might say, oh, yeah, he's a great huntsman. But I always think contrary to that. I mean, if I see a, a nice, quiet huntsman that's making minimal fuss, minimal noise, the hounds are getting the job done. That to me is a good is a good huntsman. I, I, I agree with you there. I don't know much about what... You know, I don't know much about that form of hunting. I've never done it myself. I've read quite a bit right. about it, but I've not actually experienced it myself. But you've sent me some videos and, you know, I can go on YouTube and I can find videos. And, you know, you see these people, you know, kind of running around, making a lot of noise, blowing horns, tally yeah. tally-ho. But what's impressed me about your videos is I see the horse's yeah. ears. I hear its feet and I yeah. hear the hounds. That's, yeah, that's occasionally it. I'll cheer them on, and occasionally you, I will blow blow the horn. But it's it, it's I mean, it's sure, not about but, me. It's about the duel and the the duel and the crown is 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 the hounds. And I think for for more, for anybody listening to this, I mean, if you listen to this, you're a hound guy, like, and that's that to me is why I do this job. I love this job is because it's it's all about the hounds, you know, and that that's their right. job, and that's. You know, I know I've done my job right if they're doing their job right, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think that's going to just be a great segue into, you know, we we kind of, we've talked a little bit about coyote, fox, what makes a good hound. You made the jump from um, Canada to where you are yes. now, correct? Yes. And you've been there since, for Since 2017, long? so... So this uh, going mm-hmm. into my seventh year, seventh year. Okay. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that and that uh, the position and and how. So and, I took yeah. over in 2017. Um, did some like the the, the, the club um, did some huge renovations, redid all of the kennels. Um, uh, we've got a beautiful facility here now. Um, redid all of the. The, the staff's accommodations and a big uh, the 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 barn block the the stables for the horses so they redid all of that they had a big injection of cash we had some wealthy members that kind of threw some money at it and uh, so they redid all of that um, so I came down like I say 2017 it took them about two years to redo everything um, but I had I had good so. The, this job here, I I knew the guy that was that that was the guy that had told me when I was out in Rome to come on over here, and he was he was getting yep. out of it. So I knew a lot of the bloodlines that were here, and I knew how brilliant the hounds were. There were some really really nice bloodlines here, and I'd used some of those lines up up north in in Canada. Um, 
Okay, what are what are some? Of so those predominantly, the, this pack is predominantly made up of Bywaters uh, American strain, which is a strain that's from out of mm-hmm. Culpeper County. Um, Burrell sure. Burrell Bywater, Frank Burrell Bywater was the original guy who started off, um, and they're just they're, you know, you everyone's heard of Walker Hounds and there's bird songs and trigs and and all of those kinds, but they're I, they all have their, their attributes and 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 whatnot, but I, the thing I like about this particular strain is they're so biddable, super super biddable. Um, and they once you tell them something, they, they kind of get it. You know, I mean, yeah. some some pa- some guys doing my job, and some packs of hounds horrible horrible jobs trying to get them broke off a deer. You know, they they're all they're, they're constantly. Right, I mean, right. even. You know, even when they've got the main pack, they're they're all they all ride with a with a pistol on the saddle with rat shot in case anything starts messing around with deer and stuff. And and I honestly, truly can say hand on heart, these once you know outside of what we call the the cub hunting season, like the early season where we're training puppies and get, I very very rarely have any issues with them messing around with deer. Very rarely. I mean, they just seem to come out That's... of the womb not wanting to chase deer and if they do you know you know some guys like i say they're they're shooting them a rat shot or they've got shot collars on the highest setting and they're frying them and left to right and i i honestly truly don't have that issue with them i mean you can catch a hold of one and give one a little bit of a tap but more often than not if you get up alongside them and just say ah no they know straight away that you've disappointed them you know they've disappointed you and 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 it's funny how the kind of pack self regulates. If if one does kind of get a little bit of strain, messes up, I'll I'll mm. kind of verbally chastise them. But as it comes back into the pack, all the rest of the pack jump on them, and will growl and grizzle and kind of, yeah, you screwed up, boy, you screwed up. Oh, yeah, interesting. They, they kind of <laughs> the, the rest of the pack will rate that hound too, because it's done something. That's interesting. So um. So that's interesting. That's that's cool. one of the things I do like about this strain. Um, they can be a little bit sulky, you know, in terms of if you mm-hmm. do have to get if you have to get a little bit, you know, short with one. They they kind of, especially if it's a, if it's a if they mess up collectively and you have to kind of have words with the whole lot of them. Um, it can it can mess up the rest of the day because then they get really sulky and then they won't go off and and draw what I call draw go find a fox. Uh, they'll kind of sure. soak behind you a little Feel, while, so Feel they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's that's one of the downsides to them. Um, but for the most part, I think they're a really they're a really cool strain of American hound. You know, they're just they're very, like I say, biddable. Biddable would be the best description of them. Like they're they're, they're easy to work with. You know, and and uh, respond well respond very well you know they don't you do very rarely do you have to tell them multiple times to do things you know some i right. mean some hounds i mean especially like right. some of the english hounds are just dumb as a box of rocks i mean you i mean their 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 <laughs> ferocity and 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 drive i mean they have tremendous drive and tremendous almost like a walker you know they just they just won't quit they just won't give up but those same sure. hounds would run a deer and you could hit them over the head with the two for four, ten times and they'd just stand and go, duh, uh, what? You know, and they'd go back <laughs> and just go back to chasing the deer again, you know? 
and and you know back hunting in the 21st century we can't we can't do that you know we can't do that i mean you know you you know i mean i know you're living in finland but i mean here in in especially on the east coast and thankfully we don't have that big an issue with it up here but you get out into south carolina and georgia where all these guys have these deer you know deer leases you know it's tricky enough as it is but if you've got hounds ripping around chasing literally physically chasing deer i mean you know you just it, it's not going to happen like you're going to end up with your ass in a sling oh absolutely yeah no i mean it's the same and it's the same here you know it's it's here in norway we've got this thing where it's it's you can't hunt deer with a dog that's over 16 inches yeah i shoulder. think we had this discussion before i think that's the most we did have this, this is the most ridiculous rule ever absolutely it is the most ridiculous i i totally agree it's right up there with you can't run you even problem bears you can't run problem bears here in norway with hounds you've got to run them with spitz types like norwegian elk hounds and And it's not like a protectionism kind of thing it's because they think the hounds stress the bear out what that's bizarre that is yeah that's yeah it's so bizarre it's so bizarre but anyway you know so (laughs) <laughs> we are hounds like our tall hounds i've got a beagle that i hunt deer with right we have we have a blast you know but my tall hounds if another hunter sees them running deer that guy can i mean he can shoot them and he may have a leg to stand right. on right um and wow. uh, you know le- like a legal leg to stand on which is really it's discouraging well yeah. i mean i think we it's had this discussion kind of... before i mean we've all seen 16 inch beagles that can fly like the hammer and tongs of hell and yet yet yeah, something that's, that's 20 inches that's a little bit more medium paced you can't use that but you can use the 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 fire and tongs of hell of the little beagle like i mean it, it just that seems ridiculous and the whole bear thing that's that, I mean, what difference does it make if it's a little pointy-eared, hairy, yippy one as opposed to a doopy-eared one that's got a, you know, a deep old bull voice? I mean, it just seems that's no exactly. Problem. I mean, especially if you're dealing with problem yeah. bears. Yeah. Like you're going, you're going to go and shoot that thing in its head. <laughs> I don't think it really cares what, like, what kind of dog's chasing it. <laughs> right. It's like, well, I'm about to die, but at least I wasn't being chased yeah. by a hound. You know, it's like, oh, the shame. You know, oh, it's the like, shame. It's a, the, right. The shame. I, I would actually be more embarrassed <laughs> having hunted over some of these Norwegian elk hounds. I'd be more embarrassed to have my ass killed by a Norwegian elk. Oh, good lord. To be yeah, no, that, that does seem rather silly that way, but you know, it is a little bit. But I, I mean, I agree with you. My, my beagle is faster than either of my plots. Right. Have been. Yeah. You know, so. If I ran deer with my plots, they would be they'd be rolling at a slower miles per hour, kilometers per hour than when I. You need to get some of them trialing beagles from here. I remember watching them one time, and it took them about twenty five minutes to cover four feet. (laughs) Oh no, thank you. That's uh, what do they what do they call that? Dying gracefully (laughs) on the line. I don't. I've I've never seen it. I mean, I think we had this discussion before as well. That was like, oh, coming from England. Yeah. I'd only ever seen beagles running, running hares, and 
they're, they're gone like they're they're bloody flying machines but then I, I came to north america and somebody invited me oh come down to the beagle club we're gonna run some rabbits and i'm like all right yeah this could be fun mm-hmm. this would be interesting and and they ran a brace of or a couple of, of beagles on this one rabbit and it was like good lord the, the rabbit's gonna need one of those walking frames like by the time they're finished running it i mean just <laughs> you know whatever at least on the i mean on the plus side i mean you could literally have a five acre pen and i mean you could have some tremendous noise i mean they didn't you know you could just sit in the middle of it and listen to it all day long i suppose on the plus side i i guess yeah but you know it's when they beagles have become fairly popular right over here but there's a reason that all of the beagle lines that are over here, to my knowledge, and I'm sure somebody's going to cause somebody's going to bro, bro <laughs> yeah. me about this fact after the you know once they listen to this. But to my knowledge, the lines of beagles that are here in Scandinavia are almost exclusively the yeah British the hair, beagles. hair dogs from from England. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because the. Um, you know, we still are not allowed to hunt packs right. here. So we have to have uh, dogs that are able to, you know, individually by themselves, get get the yeah. job done from start to finish by themselves. Um, so it took some breeding to be able to get to that point, to breed them away from that pack yeah. mentality. But um, the beagles that are here now are actually, um, I, I like them a lot more. The more I, the more I hunt over them, yeah. the more I like them. Yeah. They're, they're, well, they're I mean, it's like you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, you're looking for a more well-rounded animal all around. I mean, I'm hunting, you know, even when when we're in the thick of our season in January and February, we're, we're hunting approximately between 30 and 35 hounds. And right. of those 35 hounds, I may have five that are particularly good running on asphalt, you know, there may be another three or four that are particularly good at running on gravel roads. Some, some that are really good at particularly mm-hmm. finding a fox. Some that are really good at marking a one that goes to ground. Some, you know, they're because mm-hmm. I often, you know, you hear that all the time. Oh, why do you need twenty five hounds to run it? Right? And that, it's not that we need twenty five hounds. You can produce a hound like you, you know, you just said you a, a well rounded hound that can do it all. But mm. we we. They're 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 a they're a team of specialists as opposed to one single jack of all trades, you know. Right, that makes total and sense. I, to me. So, do you, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Well, I think I think that's you know when you have a bunch of specialists, it's they're just they're, they're very much that right. I think if you can if you can afford and like i work for a hunt club right so it's not uh, finance is an, an issue and this day and age finance is an issue for everybody mm. who's who have their own hands but i mean if you can afford to keep specialists i think that is definitely a better way of doing it and secondly i mean it sounds mm. i mean i mean you see you've heard the videos i mean you get 30 hounds that are just in full cry i mean it just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and you just, I'm sorry, you just don't get that oh, same yeah. feeling from one hound. No, no, no. I mean, and and that's that's legit. I mean, that's the the videos that you've sent me. I've I've 
re- replied of, you know, something to the tune of, you know, this is what heaven yeah. must look like because it's just, yeah. it's like, it's yeah. bone chilling. It's like makes the hair on your neck stand up in a way that, you know, uh, hounds will always make that happen. But when you hear, when you hear a big pack of fox yeah. hounds going at it, yeah. oh man, it's, I, 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 that's, and, that's and I ha- music. And I have a... I, I often think like that that literally that music needs every type of every type of voice. I think, you know, like there's certain packs that they hear them and they're awful squeaky and, and then you flip side of that coin like the like a lot of those Penmerdell hounds, they have those real, real deep, deep ball voices. But and it sounds tremendous, don't get me wrong, but I, I like to hear it's like a symphony. You wanna hear a bit of everything. And I think I have a lot of those right. real big big old ball mouths but there's some high-pitched squally ones in there there's some chop mouths in there there's, there's just a a mixture of everything and that accumulatively just sounds amazing especially when you get them in a hardwood and it's reverberating it just it's sure. it, it's there's i don't think there's any sound that can beat it it's fun i yeah i can agree with that i mean it sounds it sounds absolutely yeah. unbelievable how is it you know it Usually the only people who I've talked to so far uh, on the podcast that combine equine and canine mm. hunting have been the lion Yeah, hunters. out west on them, and it's predominantly a lot of time it's mules, yeah. isn't it? They do a lot of it on mules. Yeah, it's a lot of time it's Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a lot Which of time those things, How I haven't, is, haven't uh, seen that out, out west. I mean, those guys out there, I mean, the, I mean, we have some challenging places to get through on our horses but compared to some of their you know they've they, they take mules places that i would never even contemplate taking even the more sure-footed of horses i mean those sure. things jumping off 20 <laughs> foot rocks and and crazy stuff like that and you think holy moly like i mean just crazy yeah. whereas whereas no, ours, ours are a little bit more tame <laughs> okay what is it? I mean, what are you looking for? Just to, how is that sort of relationship? The uh, the uh, synthesis of hounds and, and horses. horses. Um, it's funny, you know. You get a really, really good horse, and he's better than any GPS, really, because. <laughs> It's like you were saying right. in that video, the little ears just to give the game away. They, they, like if you, you oh, know, that's... you could be sitting in a, in a wood and you probably can't hear him, but the damn horse can because you'll see his ears just swing to the one way and you know full well, you know. A lot of the horses that, that end up doing my job, a lot of the times they end up, uh, a lot of them are, are off the track thoroughbreds. I actually don't have any right now that are off the track thoroughbreds, but a lot of the times that's exactly what they are and they're front runners. And they like to be up front. Hmm. And when when the hounds are running and the hounds are around them, they feel comfort from they almost take take the the hounds as their herd almost. And it's funny okay. how that you get that kind of connection. A really good one does anyway. Um and it just it feels it's funny, you know, at the end of a real long, hard run and you sit down and you know, you're at an earth or whatever, or they caught it or whatever, and you're sitting down, and and the horse is sitting there with you, and the hounds are all around, and the hounds are licking the horse, and the horse has got its head down, and 
the horse is enjoying the attention from the hounds as well. And it, it, it is a very symbiotic mm. uh, relationship. They all just seem to get along, you know, which I That's find, cool. I find what, really what cool. I find more crazy is how the lion hunters are able to do that with mules because m- mules, um, just, I don't know what it is about mules. Mules just don't like dogs. They don't like predators, period. I'm sure we've all seen the videos of them throwing around, you know, kicking and biting mountain lions and stuff. And there's a lot of people uh, mm-hmm. that keep mules and donkeys as, uh, like, for predator control and whatnot. Um, I, I'd love yeah. to chat to some of those old mule skinner guys and just see how, whether it's just the certain strains that they have that they they're able to get their their mules not to to be aggressive with the hounds because I think they have that innate want to kill hounds and dogs. So I, I'd lo- I'd love to <laughs> right. chat with one sometime, <laughs> like a mule guy, and just say, you know, is this is this just generations of breeding, or do you have to kind of do a lot of, a lot of schooling with them to try and get them so that they accept the hounds? Right. Wow, that's a good question. Horses, yeah, horses typically, I, uh, more often than not, they will. They do. The penny does finally drop with them. Some of them are a little bit aggressive, uh, but for the most part, more often than not, hmm. especially when they're in and around the kennels, um, they they just te- kind of tend to adopt the hounds as part of their herd almost. Um, but okay. I, I wondered what the mule guys. I, I wonder if they they have a certain, you know. It's that nurture over nature kind of thing, whether it's just an inbred gene that, you know, all the ones that were crappy at predator control went ended up going and as, as mountain lion <laughs> Mountain lion guy. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I will, I'll, uh, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to talk to a couple of mule people I know and, and see if they can answer that question. Cause that is a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. To I think it, it, it would be, it certainly would be way more challenging for the, to try and get a, a mule to be receptive to having hounds all the way around it and, and, and accepting of them around it than, than a horse. I think horses are a little bit, maybe a little bit more dumber, dare I say, you know, I think the mules are a little bit, well, in fact, I'd say they're a lot smarter, almost a little too smart, really. Yeah, that's that is also yeah, what the dealings yeah. I've had very few dealings with them, but um, back in the day, I used to uh, I used to know a judge who was a a Korean what was it? Yeah, I think he was a Korean war vet or something like that. And he he went in there with with mules, and I remember him telling me stories about how if a mule gets spooked, he'd always run to the high ground so he can see what's going on around him. Yeah, a bunch of old stories, yep. and I don't know if they were old wives' tales or not, but. He he had it. He had a, a huge amount of respect for mules and how smart they were. Right. I think that's at least that's what I've heard as well from talking to some of these mule yeah. guys yeah. and gals. That you know, out in that real tough country, the nice thing with a mule is you know a horse. You know anybody who's been around horses long enough knows that if a horse really truly panics, it'll yes. kill it'll kill itself. Yes. It'll kill everybody 100%. around it. Um, whereas a mule apparently, well, well that and, the, and also, apparently they that will, and also uh, the fact that, that you can bully safe. a horse as well, whereas you can't bully a mule, <laughs> you can bully a horse into <laughs> no. doing some, some <laughs> stupid crap that, that a, a mule would just be like, no, you dumbass, we're all going to die if you try that, you know, whereas a, whereas a horse would be right. like, Ooh, okay, splat, you know, mule, not so much, <laughs> mule's like, yeah, no, you dumbass, that'll kill us all, don't do that. 
kudos to that. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know if I I don't know if I so, like the fox on fox on off a one. I know there's been over the years there's been several guys that have done it like doing the style that we do yeah really? that i've hunted mules and they jump but they have the weirdest jump they they don't jump like a horse they almost jump a bit more like a dog they tend to they tend to like really? jump up alongside of stuff and get real real close to it and then kind of jump over it whereas uh, a horse tends to stand back a little bit and bascule over a friends these they they i mean sure. if you've ever seen them they have like that Mule jumping contest. I think it's in Kentucky or somewhere like that. It is Oklahoma, somewhere out midwest. Okay. I've, oh I've yeah, they have it. like have you, you know how they do with the Malinois. How they how they have them running up the boards and they grab a hold of things. They actually <laughs> sure. have a thing, and it's like this 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 thing collapsible thing that they have, and the actual they, they don't do it mounted. They have them unmounted, and the guys come up with a long rope and they they teach the mules how to jump these big fences. I mean, I it. I thought it was the darnest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, holy cow, that's crazy, that. But they jump really weird. I'm gonna they jump really weird. Up. So I don't think somebody on on board would be able to sit it very well. It's a very it's a very erratic kind of a movement. You'd it, you give you whiplash almost. So, <laughs> yeah, I think they'd be, they, 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 they're good at what uh, they do. Stay out west in those big rocks and canyons and stuff like that. Jump. Yeah. Oh, that's Jumping fences in the East Coast is probably a little not not in their repertoire. <laughs> Leave that yeah, to the horses. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, but your your position, what is what is that like? What is your official? Is uh, my official position is a huntsman. Professional, a professional huntsman. huntsman. Okay. Can I can I ask you some questions here to just? It's going to expose me as a no, no. Go ahead. Go on you know, new noob when it comes to this stuff, but I'm, I'm interested. Okay. As the huntsman, are you responsible for the entire hunt, including like horses, people, dogs, or are you, is your main thing, the, the kennels and the dogs? Yes. <laughs> well, hmm. So it's, it's a top. So the chain of command is we have a board of governors, a board of governors, mm-hmm. um, uh, set up elections and then our membership elects masters. Right now we have three masters. The masters oversee the running of, so they make sure that where we're going to hunt is, 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 um, is the ground is cleared. So they make contact with all the landowners, make sure that, and they basically arrange the hunt fixture card. So where, where the different areas where we're going to hunt, they also, you know, um, uh, run the staff basically. So the masters. So once those masters have been um, uh, enrolled and, and voted on, their job is to employ the staff, um, make sure they all get paid and whatnot, and then ensure that that I'm doing my job basically. So my job entails looking after the kennels, looking after the hounds, maintenance of all the kennels, the veterinary side of the hounds. Um, the same with the horses we have uh i have a kennelman that that does a lot a lot of the like kind of dirty work washing down and stuff like that not that i do it as well but mm-hmm. i mean that's primarily his job and then i have a girl in the in the barn that looks after the horses but i oversee the whole lot um so i oversee okay. all the horses and as well as the hounds and then also included in that i have to go we have i think it's something like 25,000 acres 
of um, trails that that I have to. So I have to maintain all the trails in the various different counties in which we hunt. Uh, maintain oh, all of the the trails and then build all the jumps that we we use for the horses. You know, so we can get from place to place and all the smaller six foot wicket gates that the people that don't, that follow us that can't or don't want to jump they have the alternative of, of going through a gate so they can still keep up, but they don't, if they, if they can't jump or they're too old or for young kids that don't want to jump, you know, are just not, not good yeah. enough riders. They can still come out, but they're just not, you know, they can get through the gateways rather than having to jump the jumps. So, sure. so that's part of my job as well. I have to go and make sure that all the jumps are all, regularly maintained and cleaned and made sure that all the brushes away from them all same with the gates build new ones if we have mm. new areas that we're allowed to hunt in make sure that we can get in and around there on horses so it means we got to put the coops in and stuff so so that's uh that's collectively that's my whole job and also liaise with with landowners and and, and farmers as well i mean for all i have the three masters that are bosses they all have jobs of their own, right? This is just a volunteer thing that they do. So on a day-to-day basis, I have to go and sort out, you know, any issues that might happen if, you know, if there's a gate left open or a fence is broken or, you know, there's a tree come down across a certain trail, they'll call me and say, hey, Paul, uh, I need to fix this or, you know, there's an issue here. So, so yeah, sure. I'm, I'm kind of everyone's... Everyone's whipping boy. I kind of run between, you know, I mean, it's a 365 day a, a year job. Like, you know, it's, everyone might think it's so, you yeah. know, he just puts on a red coat and trots around tooting his horn. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's no, not that simple. no, I wish, yeah. I wish if it was just that it'd be pretty easy. Right. So yeah, dealing, Dealing with the humans is is the most challenging part of my job. I love working with the hounds and the horses and the animals because, you know, more often than not, you get a lot of reasoning from them. People, not so much. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's, uh, isn't that the truth? Are you, do you struggle a little bit with, um, like, have, do you have a lot of issues with like animal rights groups, thankfully, um, protesters, no, things like that, don't. things that we like, do not. I mean, I think we kind of somewhat fly under the radar, uh, being in Virginia, yeah. I think they've had a few tries at trying to, to get rid of, uh, fox pens and coyote pens. I think they've tried that a few times and, uh, legislation also to try and get rid of, um, our right to retrieve hounds, which has, has been, yeah. um, has been thwarted every time so far. Um, but it, that's obviously, Thank that's God. a constant, that's a constant battle, I'd say. Uh, it's one of the, one of the best things about being a houndsman here in Norway. You have the same right. You have a right, right to retrieve. Yes. If somebody locks your dog into a garage and it's like, no, I'm not giving you your dog back. And they call the police, the police are going to bust that person before yeah. they're going to bust you. Well, that's you. nice. Which I, I love. I, I wish we, I wish they'd had that in England. To be honest, bear. I think England made so many so many mistakes about the whole fox hunting thing. I think, um, yeah. I think we shied away very much from regulation and stuff like that. And I think if if we'd done more of a North American style um, management program where you pay to play, 
and it sounds rough, but that's just how life goes. I mean, if they were, if every person who fox hunted in England had to pay a license fee of, I don't know, you know, say 20 pounds, uh, can you imagine how much revenue yeah. that would have brought in? And it's amazing how much of an incentive it is to, to politicians that suddenly they've lost, you know, a hundred million pounds from, from revenue, from, from license fees. Suddenly it's like, all right, right, well, maybe we won't get rid of it, you know? And I think that was one of the, the, the mistakes I think we made, uh, mm. along with other things as well. I think we were very proactive. We were very reactive instead of proactive with that type of people. Sure. Uh, and yeah. I think we kind of just kind of tried to, you know, we were a bit ostrich-like. We kind of stuck our heads in the sand and before they knew it, you know, it, mm. they just had the anti-hunters at the, the bit between the teeth and we, we, we were screwed. Like, you know, and I think even to this day, I mean, yeah. I, I can see it within the next five years being the same as Norway. You just won't be able to run a pack of hounds, period. It's going to be singular yep. hounds, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's sad. It is sad that, I mean, yeah. I mean, like we just discussed, I mean, whatever's chasing it doesn't care whether there's 20 dogs or one dog, all it knows is it's being chased. You know, right. it's uh, unfortunately we live in a, in a, an urban society that don't understand rural ways and it's getting harder and harder. I mean, it, I mean, even here in America where you'd think they'd never ban hunting of any description, it, it's slowly, I mean, especially you look out on that West coast, how, how through stealth they've managed to, you know, ban bear hunting and ban, you know, at hunting and whatnot, yep. you know, and it is, it's stealth. It's that state by state, just, just picking away at the thin end of the wedge. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's the sort of thing that, you know, the, the pacifists, the middle of the rotors, and I'll, I'll include myself in that. I'm, I'm a little bit like the, you know, surely we can come to an agreement here, but it's, you know, it's people like me that, you know, kind of want to come to an agreement that, uh, you know, ends up putting us in a rough position where, you know, suddenly we've given away in small increments, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Um, given away our livelihood and it's you know you don't see it coming and until you know much until it's yeah. too late, you know and that's um that's the unfortunate i thing. mean i'd 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 love but, to go out west and, and experience the west coast but i mean uh, you know a west coast is as bad as england basically everything i love is either immoral or, <laughs> or illegal you know i mean it's like well crap you know right. i mean I, I have no desire to want to go back home i mean i love my home my home country, but I, I, I can't see myself moving from America. I mean, I just love it here. I, you know, I, everything I love, I can do here at the moment, at the moment. Right. And that, and that's the worrying thing. You know, I mean, that is a definite concern. Even, you know, I have a son, he's, he's 20 year old and I, I even wonder whether he'll in his lifetime, whether it'll be bad. I think, right. Yeah, I mean, then that's that's the scary it thing, is. isn't it? It is, it is, and you know, we're we're living in this more more of a virtual world every day. I mean, everything's everything's you know, phones and 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 digital and stuff like that. And I think anything that gets kids mm-hmm. away from from uh, from that kind of side of things and into actual reality and and you know, realizing where they're 
where their meat comes from and where, where, you know, just living outdoors. I mean, I'm, you know, the amount of people that friends of ours around here that they're near as damn it self-sufficient. We have some wonderful friends. They're members of the hunt club. Uh, well, the lady doesn't ride anymore. She's, she had a, she had a nasty fall a few years ago and they're getting up there in age. They're no spring chickens. Um, but they have uh, setters. Um, they're big, big shooting guys. Mm-hmm. They love dove hunting. They love upland bird hunting and whatnot. And she has a garden mm-hmm. there. And she literally, I mean, the woman is just amazing. I mean, she has a bunch of, uh, do you know uh, what I mean by pawpaw trees? Yeah. They have a bunch absolutely. of pawpaw trees. Mm-hmm. She makes her own pawpaw ice cream, you know, and it's just stuff like that. Really? You know, cool. they're just. That that kind of stuff, it just I, I can see, it's 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 all stuff that's going to be lost, because I, I think just yeah, like you said, death by a thousand cuts. Everything you know, it's just overreached by the government, and 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 I think probably a well-meaning general public, but that they're, they're ignorant. They don't know. That's that's the thing is and it's the danger and i'm I, I i will avoid jumping up onto this high horse yet <laughs> again but it is the danger of social yeah. media is that everybody's opinion is suddenly yes. equal even though opinions were not created yeah. equal yeah for sure you know see i i have to be somebody you know my feet are on the ground i'm out there four five days a week actively hunting my hounds not i mean that's just hunting that's not including the time that i use in care and training and all of this different stuff but my opinions on social media are going to be less than somebody living in you know one of the bigger cities who grew up watching the fox and the hound or you know and and have an issue with what i do Yes. Which yeah. I can understand yeah. why they think yeah. the way that they do, because I that's where I came from. I came from the Fox and the Hound, the Bambi, you know, the Bambi yes. generation who and, you know, was. To a large degree, raised anti anti hunting. So I understand where they're coming from and they're not coming from, they're not looking at houndsmen and being like, I hate you and I'm going to ruin everything that you love. It's that it's more of a, I think I'm doing the right thing and your collateral damage. And it's, that's, that's going to kill us. I mean, and and it's, it's really why we all need to stand together. uh, I believe, and I, I just wrote an article about this for bear hunting magazine. Where, you know, we have an image problem. We're the low-hanging fruit. Right. The hound hunters are the low-hanging fruit. And, yes. you know, if we can't get out of our 100%. own ways and stop bickering about, you know, game, breeds, podcast preferences, you know, what I, I mean, seriously, I've had people, I've had people <laughs> send me like gnarly messages saying, I will never talk to you again because I prefer this other podcast. Which is, you know, is, is, that's great. Uh, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't mind, you know, don't send me stupid yeah. messages like that. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, the more, the more voices we yeah. have yeah. that are 
promoting what we do in a good way, the stronger we're going to be. If there are 300 yes. pound podcasts out there, awesome. I would much prefer that than having one niche podcast with yeah. 100,000 yeah. listeners. And uh, yes. yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit scary Absolutely. to me. But Absolutely. Well, it is. I mean, we, 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 we live in a world right now where, you know, they're doing this, this lab made meat and, and like, you've got more, more people that are vegans than there ever has been. Like, so, I mean, the fact that people are distaste, you know, distasteful of the fact that people even eat meat now, the fact that we're actually hunting what we, what we eat is, is a, is a different level. I mean, for me, I personally, I, I wish I, I wish I could be more um, less de less dependent on anything. I wish I could just live off the grid and, and and stay away from all of that because what we what we eat as hunters is is about as good as good for your body as you can get. You know, it it's it it hasn't hasn't been pumped with all the crap that a lot of the meat is nowadays. You know, it's it's just good clean organic or as organic as you can get you know meat on the table it's i mean like the even chicken nowadays i mean they say that that's all washed in bleach so that you know because it's because of where it's at and stuff like that and, and you want you know i you do you do wonder whether whether that's true or whether it isn't true i don't i, I mean i i have no right. idea but i mean, I mean well, that's, here, what, that's um, what we get told they've got this great thing here you know where it's truth in advertising you can't you can't call something something that it's not and they've got to give a like a, a you know right. composition yeah. of what is in every you know every bit of food and like chicken breast here is by weight you know 15 to 20 percent salt water yeah which is just like yeah uh, it's all brain. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was actually the motivation for me becoming a hunter yeah. in the first place was a desire for better ingredients because I really, really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed cooking. And it was a desire yeah, to get too. the ingredients that I, you know, yeah, no. the, the one of the best meals I ever had was a guy who, in hindsight, probably poached the deer. But I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at that point. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it was one of the best meals I've ever had. And it was just a basic, simple meal yeah. of, yeah. you know, yeah. venison, potatoes, you know. But he knew how to prepare it, and he did a good job. Right. Well, and good ingredients as well, right? Good ingredients is, is good ingredients. I mean, it's... It's good food. Good food is good food. Good. Yeah. It doesn't need all the fans and pomp and ceremony, like you know. I mean, that's one thing I did learn in Italy. Like you know, the, the, the Italian food, even in North America, I find that they, they put cream and crap in it that it doesn't need. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, good ingredients. That's all it needs is good ingredients. Absolutely. And with wild, yeah, and with mean, wild game, that's tell what by you my get. Last you know, name that my whole family came from from Italy, and we all we all make food. And yeah, it's the, right. uh, it's good feeling food without the pomp yes. and yeah, sort of 
They yeah. call it in Italy cucina povera. Po- poverty food. Poverty food basically is what it is, and that's you know it's you say you basically it's 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 a lot of the time even when we lived there we'd get the old girls that'd be coming in looking for the wild asparagus they'd go and harvest the wild asparagus and they'd you'd see them after the um uh they call it Italian rugetta yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. uh what do they call it arugula um. You'd, they'd go, you'd see them out in, in the hedgerows and they'd come in the fields and the old girls would have their little blast baskets. And that's not that long ago, you know. Even now, they still, you know, they, they appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to go and yeah. spend absolutely. a ton of money. But then you look in the supermarket now and you go to the, the freezer section and there's, you know, 15 sections of frozen hungry man right. crap, like hungry Ugh. hungry man meal. And it's like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think it is. I, I, I don't think good it's for good for the people eating it. I don't think it's good for the animal. That you know. So, um, no, no. you, you mentioned that not, you but, have, yeah, that you still raise terriers, amongst other things. Yeah, yeah, I, I yep. still have. Um, okay, my my kennel name is Huntaway Huntaway Kennels. Um, okay. So I, I keep border terriers. Um, I, I I still have uh, the odd lurcher around, and I have a couple of whippets left. I I, I kind of I find it I found it hard to find the right type of whippets for my liking here in North America. Um, coming from the northeast of England, uh, where whippets were were traditionally raised and bred, and that's where they 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 started off at. Um, they were they were a lot a lot smaller, and I think they've kind of morphed in in North America. They've morphed into something that I don't think they originally were. They, you know, they were somewhat of a a poacher's dog. You could throw under your, you know, your your, your jacket and go and poach a rabbit, catch a rabbit. You know, back from the day when, you know, the landed gentry wouldn't let all the little serfs sure. run around and 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 eat any game kind of thing. You know, um, so I mean they. You know, I, I like the whippets, but I think uh, the ones that we find here in North America are just too big. I mean, I like my whippets under, oh, wow. you are know, they, 25 pounds. Are they pounds that big there? Preferably under 20 pounds. Really? Oh, some huge ones. I remember when I was showing up in up in Canada, uh, there was a there was a very well-known uh, whippet male that was, was winning an awful lot. And he was in a best-in-show lineup, and he was bigger than... Oh the female really? Alaskan wow. mommy stood next to him. That's terrible. They're, I mean, here they're they're yeah. tiny. Yeah, yeah. They're... So, yeah, yeah. I think I think of like Italian greyhounds were mm-hmm. kind of the size of the whippets. I remember as a kid, you know, the Italian greyhounds. Are, uh, 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 you know, and now they've just yeah. You know, everything seems to have stepped up size. <laughs> wow, because we've got we've got whippets at work. You know, I'm a I'm a veterinary nurse yeah. and i think the biggest one we've got right is gosh his name is henry and i'm betting he's 13 kilos maybe maybe and he's by by far the biggest one we've right got. yeah that's interesting yeah that's interesting right yeah wow. so that's hmm. under 30 pounds under 13 pounds yeah. No, and it's the yeah. same. It's oh, the yeah. same with the terriers, right? I mean, the terriers. 
I mean, I still hunt. I don't hunt them as much as I'd really like to, I, just because I'm so busy nowadays. Uh, when we lived up in Canada, when the when the snow came in, it was difficult. We we couldn't hunt really on horseback, so I, I used to hunt the the terriers a lot more then. Um, and it was primarily in, in sure. barns and stuff because the ground was so damn frozen. Um, and I was on my own. I know in Scandinavia, Scandinavia, in Norway, and in Finland and stuff, they'll dig them out, but Normally there's four or five guys and, you know, when you've got four or five guys on digging bars and whatnot, you get, once you get through the permafrost, it's not too, too sure. bad, but I was primarily hunting solo and, you know, I, I, I just didn't, didn't, didn't think I, you know, you get some of these fox earths that are, you know, some of them can be 15, oh, yeah. 20, 20 feet down and you're on your own, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a long ways to dig down to try and get back down to it. Mm-hmm. So. I pri- I primarily hunted a lot of barns, a lot of barns, um, and primarily oh, for raccoons more than foxes, um, which are a sure. formidable sure. opponent for for oh, any terrier, you know. Hmm. Um, but uh, so yeah, we hunted them a lot up in Canada. Not so much now. I still get yeah. out with them a bit, but nowhere near as much as I'd like to. Um, but and I show them as well. I mean, I right. life's too short to look at an ugly dog, you know. Uh, there's no reason why you should have an ugly dog, but I find a lot of the, um, the, a lot of the show world, I think both, both hunting and showing people could can't garner a lot of, uh, mm. a lot of information from one another. I think we kind of, especially like terrier breeds and also like, uh, gun dog breeds and that kind of stuff, uh, if 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 they work together, I think collectively we'd have better dogs. But I think we've kind of drawn a, a line a line in the sand. I think the show people couldn't care less about working qualities, and I think you'd be amazed how many working guys right. really don't and care about confirmation either. That's a that's a discussion that's raging right now in uh, here in Scandinavia. All right, I, I won't speak about the rest of Scandinavia here in Norway, right? Because the, right. the judging is so I'm going to stick my neck out here and people are not going to like it, but it's, it's, I, it's so poor that people can right. cho- pick and choose who is judging their dogs based on their relationship to that person, you know, so yeah. that the, one of the beagles, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, one of the siblings, I think it was, to mine was at a show and won uh, best in race, you know, or best in best in breed. And then um, best uh, was runner up for best in show. Did very well. And the, the guy right. sent me the um, the breakdown of the what they had looked at. And, you know, it said very well shaped head. Um, ears that were properly placed, uh, uh, erect tail, properly positioned, you know, properly placed, um, well-formed legs, uh, yeah. good proportions, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. That same dog went to another show the next right. week, did not place at all, and was slaughtered on all of the <laughs> same points. Weak head, poorly placed ears, tail yeah. was not erect enough. Yeah. The, the legs were stocky and 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 too straight. 
you know, and point for point, they went over the same things with completely different attitudes about it. And I, you know, when it's, when it's that arbitrary, I can understand like for a guy, you know, a guy like me who used to do some of the, like the obedience stuff. And it's, it's just like, I, I, it just makes my eyes cross after a little while. I'm just like, this is, this is just getting a little too dumb. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one because right. I mean, as you well know, like everything has a breed standard, but even within that breed standard, there is so much subjectivity to it, right? What's important to one judge about a certain characteristic isn't necessarily, you know, important to another. I mean, with my breed, Border Terriers, there's so many big ones that are virtually unspannable. And I mean by spannable is you're supposed to be able sure. to get, mm. you know, you put your hands around its chest and you're supposed to be able to touch the bottom of your hands uh, under, mm-hmm. the, under the rib cage and then mm-hmm. above his shoulders, you, your thumbs should touch, right? They should be easy. You should be able to do that with an average working man's hand. Now, so there's a bit of leeway there. If you get a little small lady, Obviously, you know, if it's a bigger right. dog, then likelihood is she's probably not going to be able to span it. But to me, that is the most paramount thing of of, of anything in a working terrier. Because if it's not spanable, right. it cannot get to where it needs to get to. So everything else is a completely moot point. But the amount of big dogs I see that are on. You know, I mean, being tall is one thing. I mean, you see some tall terriers, legs fold up. I mean, that that's not a big... I've seen 17-inch mm-hmm. and 18-inch dogs mm-hmm. get to ground because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they have real narrow, shallow te- chests. So they're able to get where they need to get to. So legs just fold. That's not the issue. It's the, the spanability of them. That chest has to be spanable, and the rib cage needs to be compressible, and they, they, they need to be able to get where they need to get to. And any other point other than that, when you're judging a dog, is is completely moot. It doesn't matter if it has beautifully set ears or it has a wonderful otter head, as in, in, in Border Terriers they're supposed to have a head like that of an otter, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Right. But if the body's a load of crap, right. or, if it's the size you know, of a spring spaniel, it doesn't there. matter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What use is that? And just because. 99.9% of border terriers never see, uh, you never see an earth. That doesn't mean to say that we should. I mean, the first line of a, of our, right. of our breed standard says essentially a working terrier. That is the first line, essentially a working terrier. So, I mean, how, how, how more, how more prominent can that right. side of do its history be? Right. Irrespective right. of that whether makes... it's being worked right. or not. Right. I mean, and, that's the truth with pretty much every breed. It's one of the reasons why I have been, and in my time as a, as a dog musher was vehemently opposed. And I still am vehemently opposed to making the Alaskan Husky, uh, an actual breed. I mean, as in, in, or, or a, a breed with a breed standard, because then you take away, right you start to consider other things than performance, what you're looking for. And I mean, back to that pup that I've got now, that was one of the things that appealed to me is it's a mixed breed. I don't need to, you know, there's no breed standard apart from the one that he set in his own mind. 
And his bottom line is health, yeah. perfor- performance, and longevity, which are all important things to me. Yeah. yeah. But do your sure. terriers, yeah. do they, do you ever combine those two worlds, the terriers and the fox sounds like, do you ever have foxes go to ground that you'll then, um, so we we used to we used to do it a lot. It's kind of somewhat frowned upon nowadays. Um, to be honest, here I could probably get away with it in the early season a little bit. Um, okay. But to be honest, Bear, we just don't have enough foxes. We really don't have enough foxes. I mean it, that that's that's the whole crux of it. I mean we we have sufficient, but not enough that we could we could risk. I mean my terriers, the border terriers, typically are pretty hard. They're not what I would describe as a Bolton breed, you know, like your Jack Russells tend to go down and obey and obey and in an opportunity, they'll kind of sure. get in behind it and, and, and bolt a fox. Border terriers just <laughs> tend to go down there and grab them by the throat and kill them. So they're, they're, they're more, they're a different, they're more of a, you know, a, a kill, you know, the, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have varying degrees. I mean, my old girl, T, she's, was she now 13, 14? And she was really, really smart when I was working her on a lot of coons. She realized that if she got in there, that the coons could okay. grab a hold of her and, and rake her face with the claws. And it didn't and it didn't take her very long to realize that she would just sit and bay and bay and bay until I could get her. But what she did work out is that if she could get over the top of the coon mm. and grab the coon behind the back of the head, that the coons couldn't, they couldn't rake on her with her claws if she could do that. And quite often I'd break through uh, to her and she'd have a hold of them by the back of the head and the coon wasn't able to get its hands back in there, its claws back in there to, to rake on her face. So she she kind of adapted and and, and, and overcome and realized that right. that's how she she would work it, you know. So it's, um, it, you know, different dogs, it's like like anything else. Some of them have, bigger pain tolerances and others some some border terriers will just sl- slam straight right. in there and they'll get bitten on the face and they just don't care and they'll just right. they'll, they'll, they'll kill the fox or the coon right right now that i so mean it just depends i do i do i do like the brown i, I do, what you call them little brown dogs i do like the brown dogs just more more than any other breed terrier breed particularly because right um they're so easy to live with they're very, very easy to live with. I mean, I have six or eight of them right now, and um, they all get along for the most part. I've got a couple of couple of bitches that kind of take a bit of sufferance to each other. They, they kind of they've had a few little tips and stuff like that. But for the most part, like I mean, I used to have Jack Russells when I was a kid and bred Jack Russells for a long time. And if you put eight Jack <laughs> Russells in there together, like I mean, there's blood and snots going all around. Yeah, yeah. Like, you you're know, gonna put in eight. The little shit someone to tell six. each other, yeah. you know. No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 you know. So whereas the brown dogs for the most part, I, I call them the stoner's dog, you know, I mean they're pretty they're pretty chill. And a lot of the times they, they do make very good pets just purely because they're one of those type of breeds mm-hmm. that if you never turn that flip that switch on them, they're oblivious to it and they're quite happy just doing their thing, living in the you know, living in the house and going down to the to the park and feeding the ducks bread. Um, but if he's that same dog, if you flip the switch, on, oh, him, yeah. would, would get oh, into yeah. it with a badger and a heartbeat, like, you know, so 
that that's the thing I do like about them. A lot of terriermen don't like them because they take a long time to mature and, and get like, uh, not physically, but okay. mentally in a position to do it. Um, for work wise, a lot of the guys like those Jag Terriers and Patterdale Terriers because at seven, eight months old, they want to, you know, they want to tear everything limb from limb. Um, and I just think the Border Terrier is just a bit more of a thinking man's dog. You know, they, they, they take their mm. time, but I think they're worth waiting for because when they do, when the penny does drop and they finally do get it, they, they're, okay. that, they're a much mm. better dog for it. That's interesting. Um, but I like I, I like them as a breed. They're just they're, they're easy to live with. They're so much easier to live with than a lot of other terrier breeds. There's not many, you know, terrier breeds. You could have eight or ten of them scurrying around, with them, not <laughs> wanting to kick the little crap out of each yeah. other every two minutes. You know. No, we've got a lot of these so, uh, uh, like Jagd terriers over yeah. the German. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah, the they're, Jag Jag yeah, no, they're they're freaking nuts. Oh yeah, I mean they're psychopaths in they're psychotic that look cute. Yeah. They're 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 I mean they're Yeah, they do. They they, they do look especially you get the the long the more rough coated ones than they do, but I mean you see the videos on YouTube of them and the and the the thing with those Jag Terriers is there's two very distinct types of those as well. They've got the guys that are using them for earthwork. Yep. And then the guys that are using them on pigs, and the guys that are using them on pigs, they're they're considerably bigger. Obviously, they're like mm. seventeen, eighteen inches. Some some big, big, big terriers, but they're absolutely fearless. And you see them just getting flung all over the place by these wild boar, and they just get back up and you yeah, know. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> just crazy, and they just don't see. They, at least over here, they bred those. They bred the den dogs to be just as just as insane. You know, they'll go in there and they'll they'll just. They'll, yeah. they'll throw yeah. down with whatever is in there. You know, so what, I mean, what kills a lot of them is that they'll go yeah. into a lot of times. We have a lot of badger here. And the fox will not infrequently yes. run through, yeah. a, you know, run through a den that at the moment is being occupied by a badger. And the terriers will go down there and they will, yep. they'll just battle the first yep. thing they stumble upon, which is, you know, usually the badger who's on its way out to figure out what the hell is yep. going on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot of, a lot of those yogged terriers are being killed by badgers or killing badgers and then dying of their wounds later is more, more the actual. Yeah. Well, and people don't realize how ferocious. I think what someone described. So the difference between a North American badger and, a, and an English badger is an English badger looks like he wants to take you out and put, have crumpets and a cup of tea, whereas the American badger wants to take <laughs> right, you out the like, back alley and shiv you in the back of the side. You know, it's like, but, but little do they know that, that that what looks to be cute and fluffy thing has oh an God. unbelievably powerful jaw. Like, I mean, those things just... They 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 might look pretty, but my God, they are they are probably one the most formidable um, oh, opponent I mean, for any yeah oh, for any I mean, dog. pound for pound bar none. I would put I mean the European badger, you know, and I and I agree. I mean they look they look nice compared to the yeah. you know they, yeah. the, the 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 American badgers look like you know the English badgers, the badger. addicted cousins, <laughs> like they're just they're just insane. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, but the uh, that's a good yeah, description. The, yep. <laughs> yeah, 
Right. And always look like they're pissed. They always look, ah, I just. They do. Whenever you see they the do. videos of them, they Whereas just the look Whereas the European actors just look like, they just look kind <laughs> of nice. You know, look fluffy. Well, if you ever saw the books and the and then the kitty sure. programs, the wind in the willows Absolutely. and Mr. Badger there, like it's like, oh, no, not so much. Mr. Badger. But, yeah, yeah, no, no I'm so uh, not so much. I'm interested in the terrier yeah. stuff, too. I've got um, I'm headed north in. Yeah. Within the next month or so, I'm headed north. and I'm going to pick up. Um, there was a litter of there was a litter of den dogs done here. I guess a year and a half ago that turned out right really really nice but the female had a she had eight pups right four of them died and she needed to be operated on and was unfortunately sterilized at the same time but the four surviving puppies right have turned out just absolute dynamite dynamite so i found that dog's sister yeah or sister they what are were, they how are they let me see. How are they she bred? was a jack border cross and um right that's a good cross she was bred the pups were jack border and then purebred patterdale right right yeah she, yeah they really be, nice. so i i know else. this dog's i think it's sister half sister um, and I'm going to go up and breed and I'm going right. to get her and I'm going to breed her to the same male that her sister was bred to and get uh nice. quarter, bo- nice. quarter border, nice. quarter Jack Patterdale. Yeah. Quarter Jack. Like small, and the rest, the rest small, pond, yeah. gritty, right. You know, yeah. den earth dog Patterdale. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice job. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the one thing that impresses me about Scandinavia is they still have a lot of the, a lot of CKC breeds that um, that have fallen out of uh, favor as, as earth dogs everywhere else in the world. Yet they still use them. You see an awful lot of oh yeah, uh, wire hairs oh, yeah, there, fox terriers still up there, Welsh terriers. Yeah, a lot of them, and I, I love that. I think that's fantastic still mm. to see. Like, I mean, that's that's what they were bred for. And even now when I go to, if you know, I don't go very often, but when we go to the AKC shows here, I love to see a really nice, sharp-looking little female wire fox terrier, sure. and you think, yeah, yeah, that one still could do the job. Yeah. Could still do the job. And they have enough piss and vinegar that they, they could. You know, fox terriers, <laughs> right. I've yet to see one that's not Born angry at the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they are. They are. They are like they've definitely got oh little, little man syndrome. Yeah. Some of those those fox terriers, the wire foxes, they're a little, little fired up. But yeah, no, it's not. It's nice to see. I, I follow quite a few guys on Facebook, the Finnish guys and, and Norwegian guys that that are still running, running the you know, registered, registered Welshies and 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 fox terriers and stuff in there, and they and they're yeah, doing they doing the, the job. The like, fox terriers it's, it's, it's are great probably the most really popular. Good. Um, den dog over here because they do, you know, they'll they'll do a little bit like right. what you talked about, get behind and you know chase them out rather than just going down and you know ugh, going to war. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, you can you can have hard dogs that are that is what I call sensible hard dogs that will go in there. They'll assess what's in front of them, and they'll they'll kind of almost like a boxer. They'll they'll just test them out, and then they'll just when the opportunity arises, they'll sit there and be there and be and be and be. And when the opportunity arises, they, they'll they'll mm-hmm. they'll slide mm-hmm. in and then they'll grab them by the throat and and that's it, game over. And there are other crazy dogs. I I hate to be uh, <laughs> hate to be the one that's bagging on <laughs> yeah. them a bit, but the likes of the the Jag Terriers and some of uh, some of the hard some of the harder Patterdales, they don't want they to kill it. Brawl. They just want to sit They're there. They're disappointed and when fight it dies. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I was having fun there. No, you're, you're either sit there and you bear it and keep it in one spot, or you 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 sit there and you know a sensible hard dog will just sit there until the opportunity arises and then yeah. and then grab a hold of the the fox or badger or whatever the case may be um, when the, when the... no problems. Um, no problems. Well, we've we've had you here for about two hours, Paul, and I'm. I'm oh. uh, you're a busy guy, so holy uh, hell! Yeah, I'm gonna get in trouble now. <laughs> but uh, I've had a blast talking to you. I really, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we we're able to make this work. And, yeah, uh, no, no, it's been it's, fun. It's uh, been really interesting hearing about, yeah, hearing about your history personally, and also hearing about some of, yeah, some of the experiences you've had um, that are, you know, really kind of. St- you know, even though you you're in the United States, you're still fairly foreign to a lot of a uh, a lot of the houndsmen. I think that listen to this podcast, who you know, are most of them are. I think most of the people who listen to the podcast are are the you know coon hunters, bear hunters, uh, you know, t- folks who yeah yeah don't really. Well, and then that's that's the thing. I, I you know I I. I I always feel that when we come across, and and I have I know lots of guys that that have deer hounds and, and whatnot, and, and they know that I love everything the same as what they do. But I think mm. a lot, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of the coon guys and, and the bear guys, they kind of look at us and think, well, they're a bunch of toffs and they're a bunch of assholes, and, and you know they don't. But in, in they couldn't be more wrong. I think there is an element of people that are a bit like that that do the sport that I sure. I work in. But I think the vast majority of those people all love the same things that they do. Mm. And I wish that that collectively that we'd all get along a lot better and 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 and, and kind of re, you know kind of unite a lot more because we all do. We all love the same things. We all love hounds. We all love the countryside. We all wanted to remain that way. And I think uh, people get. Caught, caught up in stereotypes especially i mean right this time of year it's not so much because we're all wearing you know uh, you know rough and ready clothes we're not wearing our fancy red coats and all of that nonsense but that's all right. it is is fancy coats and nonsense i mean that's it's just part of the tradition it doesn't change who we are and what we're doing right it's people that appreciate the same things and have much more in common with each other than than not than not yes absolutely so yeah no i love i i love that attitude and uh i've really enjoyed talking to you paul it's been a lot of fun yeah well hopefully we can we can keep in keep in contact and i don't know do you get across back to the states very often or not 
Uh, if you had asked me that the last time I was in the States, I would have said, yeah, I get back there every six months. But that was five years ago. Oh, right, <laughs> right. Uh, between COVID and, and some other stuff. And you got uh, little ones and stuff. I mean, that's that's always, you know. Yeah, I don't make it back nearly as much as I would like to. But I'm I'm looking to try and get back there between now and Christmas time. It's cool. my goal. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but uh, that is my where you, you're question. originally was Maryland? Did you say you're originally from? No, originally from Maine. Maine, Maine. I knew it was one of the M's. I yep. couldn't remember. Right. Yep. Uh, well, that might be a, that if you're probably going home to see family and whatnot. Virginia might be a bit of a stretch, but you're always well. Might be a little bit of a haul. Yeah. I would love to come down there at some point. I'm I'm planning. I've got this sort of harebrained scheme in my head that I would like to take a. Uh, you know, I lived in the States for 21 years and did a little bit of road tripping, but not, not much. Not nearly enough. Yeah. And there's part of me that I, like, I'm kind of have this harebrained scheme that once the kids are a little bit older and maybe gone off to college or whatever, that I'll just, uh, which is not that long away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I'll fly over, hop in a car and take a hound a we, hound tour of the United States. We we did that a bit in the spring. We went we went hog hunting down in Texas, and we went through Tennessee, oh, and cool. Arkansas, and all of those, and uh, you know Mississippi and Louisiana, and all the places that I'd never been to. And I tell you, we had uh, it was my me, my son, a friend of mine, and his son, um, and we had an absolute blast. It was just so much fun, and it wasn't necessarily that the hunting was great. But it, we, we just had just an absolute blast getting there. I mean, it just, you know, it, it sounds a bit corny, but it's like that old school, just American road trip. It literally was that. I mean, we just had so many laughs and so much fun. So, yeah, I mean, do it. Do stereotypes it. are stereotypes for a reason, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it was Absolutely. So, so much fun. So much fun. That's cool. Well, if anyone wants to look me up, I'm on, uh, I'm on uh, TikTok under uh, Hounds Are Us. Uh, on TikTok, that I've got a bunch of videos on there. If you, if you look me up on um, Instagram, it's Huntaway Kennels. Uh, okay. No, actually, I tell a lie. Sorry, my Huntaway Kennels um, got got hacked, got hacked and taken off. So it's just Paul Wilson, nineteen seventy five, or um, or on Facebook, it's just me, Paul Wilson. If anyone okay. wants to look me up or reach out to me and. Want any more information yeah, I, or uh, shoot the breeze? I hope people do that yeah. because, uh, yeah, Paul, you've been a fantastic guest and yeah. well, uh, I, appreciate I appreciate you coming on and appreciate uh, you taking the time because I know you're a very busy guy. Yeah, well, it's it's that time of year. Everyone's, every, I think everyone's getting ready now. I think and hunting season's coming up, the deer season's coming up. Everyone's getting, getting everyone's buzzing. Yep, absolutely. Well, if you ever find yourself on this side of the pond and want to uh, experience Norway looking at hounds' asses. Yeah, I'd and, love uh, to, to be honest. Like I say, I, uh, about 10 years ago, I, uh, some, a Finnish lady called Maria, Maria Stahlberg, she came over and got, uh, when we lived in Canada, she came and took two of my border terrier pups out to Finland. Uh, hmm. And she's done remarkably well. She, do, she, she works them. 
uh, in the winter. She does all the den trials. She's sh- she's shown them all the way through. They're, they're multiple uh, champions through Estonia and God knows what else, Finnish, Swedish. She's made them all champions. And she keeps saying, yeah, you, should, you should come over, you should come over. So maybe instead of going back home to the old Blighty, maybe I'll go to Scandinavia, go hook up with, with Maria and then come see you guys. Just chill out with you guys. Oh, you got to do it. Let me know when you do. All right, man. All right, well. All right, man. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound.